The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Susan Combs, a former Texas State Comptroller, author of Texas Tenacity, A Call for Women to Direct Their Destiny. Women need to create and pursue their own goals and reality, whether at home or the C-suite, at the seat of political power, or in a socioeconomically challenged community. Part memoir, part manifesto for inspiring others, Susan Combs shares the details of her life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, from family history and her upbringing to her escape from an abusive marriage, from her first jobs to political powerhouse, from rancher to author to founder of Herdacity. Susan has served as Texas State Comptroller, Texas Agricultural Commissioner, and in the Texas State Legislature. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Thanks so much. Delighted to be here. Well, Susan, your your book is a, as I see it anyway, is a testimony to all your successes as well as to your challenges. So, I guess my first question is, you know, I mentioned part memoir, part manifesto, which you, as you describe your book, um, what does part memoir, part manifesto mean? What I wanted to say to people is that. Many of us start out at some point, you know, twenty, twenty-two. We don't know where we're going to end up, and we don't have a fixed path unrolling in front of us for a lot of us. And so I wanted to say I didn't have anything unrolling in front of me, and I um, sometimes I sort of fell into things, other times I leapt towards them, but I've ended up in a place I would never have imagined at the age of 22. And the, my point to women is be open to change, be open to accepting risk, be open um to, you know, daring to be the person you want to be, not what somebody else says you should be. What if we ascribe to to what you're saying? Yes, be open to risk. Don't do things just because other people say you should. Uh, And we want to be that way. But how do we actually overcome the obstacles to doing that? I mean, it seems that we're sort of women take, I I say, two steps forward one step back I'm not sure that's even true Um, it it seems that we just get to a point where we're able to do what you're talking about and then all of a sudden you know the outside world says no you can't do that you know you you, it's it's not appropriate for women so how do we overcome those obstacles which you've obviously done I I I mean you've operated I I did it by baby steps let me give you an example I was so terrified of using the telephone when I was in my teens I wouldn't even use the phone I was so shy I honestly trained myself out of that, but it was one baby step at a time. I didn't tell myself, you've got to take a big leap. It was one little step, oh, I can do that, and then another one. And what I'm going to give you a story that I heard about yesterday, which I think is really horrifying and instructive. Talked to a gentleman in Colorado yesterday. His daughter, he's got sons and daughters. His daughter was on a school bus, and there was somebody being a bully. And everybody was silent on the school bus. This girl's, you know, 12, 13, 14. And she spoke up about the bully. She put herself out there. She took the risk on the bus to stand up for what was right. A female principal called the parents later and said, we, no, bad, we do not want girls to do that. So when you, and the father said, I do want my girls to do that. And they sent the daughter and the bully off the bus for a week. Now, that is external, and that's where I think some of the rest of us in society have to say this is not acceptable. So you have a daughter who maybe is wondering, can I take that next step? I think we have to create kind of a a wave of support for her. And what, you know, you mentioned, well, how do you, what happens when you reach a barrier? My view is there's never a final barrier. If you say, I can't get there, then, of course, you'll never get there. 
And I did it sort of painful step by painful step, one thing at a time. I mean, I, I, I did things I never would have imagined I could do just because I thought, okay, I'll try this. And I think it's that willingness to try that is sort of trained out of us in school and society, and the boys are trained into it. And I think we need to train each other that we can take those steps. Where did that come from? I mean, obviously, you have some kind of an internal uh, sort of fortitude, I guess, that allows you to do that, um, because that's just who you are, uh, male or female. But what? How? let's kind of backtrack into your own family. How did they fit into that in terms of allowing you to do it or holding you back and when you wanted to, to go ahead? The, the point I made in the book was that as I really, I really looked back and I realized my parents had no expectations for me as far as grades you shall achieve. They literally talked about the words gentleman C for college and high school. That, I didn't want to do a gentleman C, but they didn't say you've got to do this. There were no paths out there. What there was there was you know, good manners, be well behaved. But I think having a ranching background when I could actually go work with the cattle and go do things, I did things that was normal for kids to do on a ranch in a male-dominated environment. It never seemed strange, and I think that actually helped. I also think um, coming from Texas kind of helped. Texas is a, is a can-do place, but um, I've told a group of women, I said, I started out as a golden retriever. I mean, I was, you know, happy, you know, kind of happy face. And I said I sort of morphed over the years into occasionally being a wolverine. And this woman said, well, I'm, I'm a wolverine. I want to be more of a golden retriever. <laughs> and another woman said, I'm stuck in golden retriever. And I think we decide our persona at some point. I think we decide what kind of personal um, risk we're willing to take. Do we always want to be the golden retriever? And I've got a golden retriever and I love her. Uh, or do we occasionally, are we willing to embrace an edgier style if we have to? And um, I don't believe that women are all the time victims. I think sometimes we don't help each other. And that's unfortunate. And I hope with my project Herdacity to reduce some of that but honestly, I come back to it was step by step. I mean, I went from a person who would run at the sight of strangers almost into just adopting almost a persona. I was going to be an outward-looking person. I wasn't going to be inward-looking. And that, that it's like adopting a style was very helpful. Yeah. And that builds on itself. Once you do it and force yourself to do it and take the risk and you take one risk and then, okay, hey, I was somewhat successful or very successful. It, it sort of, you, you go on to next usually. Yep. But one thing that keeps coming out that you, that you talk about is be persistent, be persistent, mm -hmm. be persistent and don't give up. And uh, I think that's probably, to me, one of the most important, uh, one of the important issues that you bring up, especially in terms of women, if you, we, being yeah, I, persistent. I, I, yeah, you do have to. And what, there, there will be things put in your path. I, I guess, Catherine, I have kind of a mental image all the time of I'm on a path. And people will try to knock you. It's kind of like a balance beam. They'll try to knock you off. And if you get distracted by that stuff, you will fall off. And if you see there's a point down at the end, just stay with it. Don't get knocked off. Um, there, were, uh, there was a thing that uh, I tried to do for transparency, government transparency, and I had gotten these, a state senator and a House member to do these bills. It was great, good public policy, tell everybody how much they owe, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it got killed twice in the Texas House of Representatives on the floor, and I had not realized how much people despise the idea of telling the taxpayer the truth. So I got very annoyed about that. And I decided I would do that as comptroller. I would take my agency's personnel, and we would put it on the web. So the door to the legislation was shut once. I had to run it through again. It was shut a second time, and I found a third way. And my belief is that there's always a back door, a side door, go through the window. There's always something if you care enough about it. And you may... 
reach your goal in stages instead of all at once. It may not be a smooth, you know, uh, leap into it. But if you care enough about it, you that energy will propel you forward with persistence, focus, and determination. But you really have to care, and you have to know it's important to you. Susan, do you have to have a team? And by a team, I don't mean a team of uh, 12 people, but a team could be one person, two person, but you need people on your side and need to let go of those people who are, as you describe it, the distractions. Yeah, I've had wonderful friends who shared the same vision, and that's a that's a morale booster, and uh, you you do need I I at least needed that positive reinforcement, and I've used a phrase last year: no negative cha cha. I don't want any negative cha cha. I don't want negative stuff coming in my windows so that I get distressed or distraught or knocked off. You, I want to feed off of a positive shared vision, and it's great to have some. It may be a friend. It may be a coworker. It may be a relative. It may be somebody that you encounter, but that validation is very nice. Most of us are not completely solitary creatures. We like you know, communal uh, communication, and I, that's been very helpful, but I, I really do not want to stay around people who are negative. What's the difference between not wanting to stay around people who are negative or distract you in ways that aren't good for whatever your goals are to being able to take constructive criticism, to be able to sit down and listen to people who may have be able to critique you in a way that's going to be helpful, help you to persevere? Oh, I think that's a $64,000 question all of us face. Am I being blind to a constructive observation because I'm too self-absorbed and I'm too fixed on it, uh, or can I honestly be able to step back? And I think it's, it's a trait we all need to learn. Step back, think about what you're doing, and is this a useful observation? Which is why having people who are willing to say no to you is also a good thing. What would you say was the most difficult situation that you faced? I mean, you mentioned one, but I'm sure in all your, I mean, all the hats you've worn, all the things you've done, and you've been in positions where I assume there aren't too many women in positions of power. You're surrounded by powerful men. Uh, What would you say was one of the most difficult, as I say, situations that you've been in that you handled and were able to go forward and accomplish what you wanted to accomplish? Well, aside from the personal, that terrible marriage, which was awful, but I had to handle. Well, let's that talk about home. that. <laughs> that was That's that. Not a, yeah, that was awful. I um, I couldn't believe I was in my mid twenties, and I couldn't believe later that I just didn't get help. I didn't have help, and it was only finally when I really thought I was at risk of losing my life, that I literally ran from my life. And I was mortified and embarrassed that I had been too embarrassed to tell anybody I needed help. And I later handled child abuse cases as an assistant district attorney in Dallas. And I that, that awful experience, which turned out fine, was useful for me to say, women, sometimes we just don't want to admit we messed up. We picked the wrong guy. We missed the signals. And we, I had never thought that I would feel weak and helpless like I did. And that was a huge wake-up call. And Why do you think you uh, made that choice? Or When you look back, or I'm sure you've analyzed it, but you got yourself out of the situation and and, and felt, it sounds like a shame that you got yourself in that situation in the first place, but what, why do you think you made that choice? To get into it? Mm-hmm, to choose this man no, who was oh, abusive. I, I, I'm pretty clear I do know why. I remember at one point, remember I was you know, very tall, I was you know six feet at 15, and I remember my mother telling me this phrase, beggars can't be choosers, in referring to life partners because I was going to have a short list of tall people. And that was such a, in a sense, a mental barrier to really saying you can wait for the right man. You can wait for the right partner. You can wait for the best thing. And so this guy shows up, and he, I mean, I, I did love him. 
but I thought somehow I wasn't worth more. That is what struck me uh, at the end. That, that, that just really knocked my socks off, that I had prided myself on being independent at that point, and I wasn't. And that was a lesson that I want to say to other women. You are always worth it. You're always worth more. And don't let anybody's uh, analysis of your worth determine your worth. You determine it. I think another piece of this that that you talk about, which sort of comes into play, is that you say to us as women, um, we each possess some secret skill or strength or trait that we may not even recognize that we have, which will help us to achieve our goals, uh, our dreams, and be able to focus on these aspirations. So we kind of really have to look inward, not kind of, but we do have to look inward and find that skill, find that strength. Because I think very often people out there are telling us that we, we, we don't have those strengths. So how do we do that? How do we, or how, what would you tell young girls? How do they do that? I would say, first of all, you have to love yourself. And you, you can't let somebody's external images of our beauty, our skills, every one of us has something unique and wonderful, and you have to embrace that. And it is concerning to me that you have young girls who are ready to rock and roll and, you know, kick the world in its teeth in the sixth grade, and by the ninth or tenth, they're afraid of, uh, you know, the mores or the social pressure. I think that is very hard. And I think, to your point, yes, you do have to look inward, but you have to look inward with affection and love and respect and look for the things that you like about yourself. And there's always something. I mean, I didn't know that I was, you know, doggedly determined at 12. I didn't know that. I didn't know that I was doggedly determined, I mean, till my mid-20s. I didn't even know that about myself. And maybe it came up later. But then I realized, okay, I got out of this. I am absolutely worth it. And I embraced that. I embraced my work ethic. And I began to realize I had strengths I had never understood I had. You know, I always I ask this question frequently because here you are, somebody who's very accomplished, obviously. Uh, we've been discussing some of the accomplishments um, during this interview, but what do you say to us, just the average person? Can we do that? Do we have the strength and the tenacity to be able to accomplish what you've been able to accomplish? You're very bright. Think, yeah, you've gone to yeah. good schools. You're an attorney. Most, you know, we don't all fit into that category. I don't suggest anybody follow my mold. I think everybody has their own path. And I've talked to women who they really want to be embraced for their desires to be a great volunteer, a great mother. I think those are hugely admirable roles. My path is my path. My path is not your path. But everyone has something they care about and they want to do, and I want to help Myrtle and Mary and Teresa get what they want. So, um, as I say, I would never have started out on this, never even envisioned it. Uh, but the, the herdacity thing that I wanted, that I'm launching in about two months, is really about every woman doing what she wants to do, directing her own destiny. And uh, in the book, I put, they asked me for an epigraph, and I thought about it, what, what, would, what would I want to take away from the book? And so I looked up a lot of things. I finally found the one, throw me to the wolves, and I'll return leading the pack. What that means to me is life throws us illness, cancer, death, loss, uh, economic failure. That's the wolf that's out there waiting for us, all of us can survive those. All of us can turn those around. And I, I lost a beloved cousin in July, and she, she, she turned the, the wolf pack into her own. She came and led it back. And so my point is, whatever happens to you, and bad things happen, and you have the strength, it's there, and you just tell yourself it's there, and by golly, it will show up. I think that's good, excellent advice. What we call those, I think, is uh, tenacityisms, or <laughs> I think that uh, 
Texas tenacity, Texas tenacity isms. That would be one of them. But her dacity. So, but how do we do it through her dacity? Because let's. I want to talk more specifically about that. It's a, there's a website called www.herdacity.org, and what we did was we contracted the words her and audacity, and it will be launched, we're in phase three development, be launched in March sometime, and it's a place where women can go and you empower each other, and you get empowerment back, and we are not going to have any, you know, back to negative cha-cha, no trolling, it's a free, it'll be free, I've got leftover campaign money for this. And um, you can be you know, anonymous, you know, Mary S. or M.S. from uh, Illinois, wherever. But to be able to talk freely about the issues that maybe you really can't even talk about to a close friend. And I've got this problem, blah, blah, whatever it is. And it's, it's to help women say, you can do this. I was with uh, two women last night and one woman has been told to go uh, apply for a job, and she doesn't think she can do it. I've known her for 15 years. I said, of course you can do it. You may not want to do it. It may not be something you want, but you have the capability and capacity to do it. And so I always have thought that if we could give external validation to other women, yes, that's your goal. You aspire to it. Go get it if, if you want it. And so that's what herdacity.org is supposed to be. And we're going to have sort of, I, I use five, four adjectives actually, uh, sort of going from the golden retriever of perky, <laughs> perky, feisty, and edgy, the wolverines out there and edgy, um, is that we all have different styles. And find your style and find out how you want to navigate, you know, the byways of life and everybody's style is different and we hope to give you an array of sort of options and uh, ways to think about yourself that make that make you feel comfortable but also let you take that next step forward so we do this anonymously we go on the website we have an issue whatever it is some kind of difficulty we're having and we get advice from other women who are tied into the website Yes, and so we, we, have, we, we have the notion called campfires. There'll be a topic you, you might want to look at. So, for example, maybe today all you want to find out is, I'm just dying to learn about Italian cooking. Okay, great. Or another one says, I've got a very bad boss, and what would you say? Uh, how would you do this? And so if you post something, you, have to, you can use a fake name like, uh, you know, SC. Uh, but nobody else knows that. If you, if you don't want to be contacted, you, nobody will ever email you. You can be at this campfire conversing, posting, chatting, etc. cetera. Uh, we will know who your email is so we know you're not a troll, but you don't have to tell anybody where you're from. You are, it's confidential and you're free. What, what I notice is that women listen differently to women than they do to men. We really bear our souls to women. Pretty hard to get us to do that with the guys. I and think that's so, true. I, yeah. And so, if you really want unvarnished but helpful information and and discussion, uh, we're not going to allow people to troll you. Well, Catherine, that was a you know a stupid comment. We're not going to allow that kind of nonsense. Why would you want to come on there and be vilified? You wouldn't. And it's not a stream of positive perky. Well, Kathy, you're the best thing since sliced bread, because you're not going to find. Uh, that you know, and I, you know, I think that's uh, that, I think that's important, Susan, because I think that's also something that women get into. We sort of sometimes overprotect each other and tell you know you're wonderful, you're a good mm-hmm. person, you're and some of that's not always so helpful because you really want someone to take a look at with you what you're struggling with and and be more. I don't want to use the critical but just objective more objective exactly and that kind of stuff yeah and that was your point about do you ever have somebody you take as constructive criticism i think you have then then it's real then it's granular then it feels right it feels realistic otherwise you're just the cutest person i've ever met that's nonsense that you know that's phony yeah and it's not helpful (laughs) Mm -mm. nope and you don't see, you really don't see men doing that. You won't hear men when they're, if they're supporting each other or critiquing whatever they're doing, telling them how, how perfect they are and wonderful and great and, and, uh, and sweet. You, you don't often hear that. So I think that is something that, yeah, women have to take a look at. 
But um, for example, you might hear a guy say, hey, Fred, you really kicked that guy's ass. They'll use that kind of a, uh, aggressive conversation, but it's, it, it carries a whole array of emotions and pictures. You were powerful, you were aggressive, you whipped him, you did whatever. We don't say that. We don't say, boy, Catherine, you really knocked that person to the ground and stomped on him. But that's not in our vocabulary. It's not. But but if we said, boy, that was a great zinger. You really, you really made an incredible point. He will never do that again. I call that shower talk. I say great things in the shower. I'm a genius. I have the most incredible one-liner comebacks. I'm just amazing. Unfortunately, I then get out of the shower. The- <laughs> Yeah, I, I think um, I think that's really an important point. And uh, well, I'm all ready to join up. You're saying Herdacity is going to be up and running in um, March, a couple of months. Yeah, and you can go uh, sign up herdacity.org, and we'll keep you posted through emails of what's going on. And we want feedback. This is meant to be uh, if if our customer base, our you know women, if they don't like something, we will adapt. I'll continue to fund development so that if we say, "Gee, this campfire topic." Meh, terrible. Uh, we want more of this. Great. We want this to be your uh, conversational platform, your for- force multiplier for conversations, not mine. Susan, great talking to you today. Um, we have to say goodbye. The next guest is here, but um, Susan Combs, Texas Tenacity, a call for women to direct their destiny, and she's also the founder of Herdacity, uh, which we'll be looking forward to, which is a website for women, which will be up and running in March. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Yeah, great talking to you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me is Melissa Hartwig. She's a New York Times bestselling author and certified sports nutritionist. Uh, her new book is The Whole 30 cookbook. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Melissa. Thank you for having me, Catherine. It's nice to be here. Well, I'm going to describe your book in uh, Melissa's Whole30 Cookbook. She's the co-creator, Melissa Hartwick, offers a unique twist and delivers over 150 all-new recipes to help readers prepare delicious, healthy meals during their Whole30 and beyond. She has presented more than 150 health and nutrition seminars worldwide and provides support to more than 2 million people a month through the Whole30 website and social media feeds. Uh, this groundbreaking program helps countless people transform their lives by bringing them better sleep, more energy, fewer cravings, weight loss, and new healthy habits that last a lifetime. 
Um, that's that's quite a task. And I want to say, uh, Melissa, I was talking to one of your fans, and she was really going on and on and on about why how, how great the whole thirty is, how special it is. Um, so my question to her, which is really my question to you, is what what makes it so different than other diets? Because you know there are. I say hundreds of, there are so many diets out there, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. So why is yours special and why is it caught on so quickly and you have so many fans out there? Well, I think it's different for a number of reasons. First, most traditional diets focus only on weight loss and they achieve weight loss through caloric restriction, deprivation, and, and a reliance on willpower. They're short-term fixes designed to help people lose weight fast. And the literature shows, scientific research shows, that calorie restriction simply doesn't work long-term for weight loss, and it keeps people stuck in this cycle of deprivation and hunger and restriction and tuning out to the signals your body is sending you. You know, I'm hungry. Well, no, you're not hungry because you're on a diet. So it keeps people stuck in this cycle, and they lose some weight, and then they end up bouncing right back into old habits, and they regain it all, and then they feel like a failure, and it causes them to eat even more of the same less healthy food that got them into trouble in the first place, and it's just a really sad cycle. The Whole30 is really a reset in its truest form. It's designed to help people push the reset button with your health, habits, and relationship with food. So for 30 days, you are going to eliminate foods that the scientific literature and our clinical experience have shown to be really commonly problematic to varying degrees uh, across a broad range of people and see what changes. And at the end of the 30 days, you're going to bring those foods back in very carefully and systematically and see what changes. So it's not a prescription. We're not saying you need to eat like this for the rest of your life. What we're saying is here's a protocol designed to help you, Catherine, Figure out how the foods you've been eating are impacting you. Which ones are making your energy tank at 2 p.m. or having, you know, giving you trouble sleeping or making you bloated or giving you digestive issues? Which ones are causing your cravings? What's contributing to that shoulder ache or pain or your acne or allergies or migraines? Figure that out and then you get to decide how often and how much and which foods you bring back into your diet in a way that feels really healthy and sustainable for you but still keeps you looking and feeling exactly as awesome as you want to look and feel. So Whole30 really is kind of like the anti-diet. No caloric restriction, no weighing, measuring, or tracking your food, just a protocol to help you figure out what's working for you. So in other words, all right, it's unique for each individual person. It's not just some script that we have to follow and feel deprived, which is what, that's true, that's what most of these diets do feel like. But okay, right. let's put it, give, yeah, so an example, like you take out, you, you, you would describe or what, you know, what you eat for a day or a week or a month or whatever, and then you slowly, you would take, let's say, eliminate one of those, like a dairy or meat or fish uh, to see how that affects you, or do you have to have a particular problem? You know, like, let's say, as you say, like you have a stomach ache or you have headaches or whatever. How does it work? Like, Give us sure. an individual so, example. Yeah, The Whole30 is really for everyone. A lot of people come into it with some health issues they want to resolve, whether it's, you know, um, you're not at a, a body weight that you feel like is optimal for you and you've experienced some digestion issues. Maybe you've got a chronic ache or pain. Maybe it's just that you feel tired and sluggish all day long and you don't have the energy that you know that you should. Maybe your cravings are out of control and you feel like you're a slave to sugar. That's a really common reason for people coming to the Whole30. The protocol is basically an elimination diet. And in order to see the benefit you have to eliminate all of the commonly problematic foods all at once. So you're pulling a lot of things out of your diet for those 30 days all at the same time. You don't want to baby step it or do it one kind of small group at a time because if the thing you're sensitive to is the last thing you're leaving out, you're going through all of these different steps of the protocol and not really feeling any better. So we want to do it all at once, pull everything out and really pay attention to what changes and then bring things back in one at a time like a scientific experiment so you can really pinpoint the particular food groups that are giving you the most trouble. Uh, are there any that are more common than others, just generally in terms of, mm -hmm. of, of yeah, what are they? Uh, sugar, it, added sugar is incredibly commonly problematic uh, with cravings, with feeling out of control with your food, with overconsumption, with 
behavioral issues in kids, uh, brain fogginess, attention span, any number, aches and pains and symptoms, acne, any number of things. Gluten is really commonly problematic to varying degrees. So many people find that just the elimination of gluten by itself radically transforms their health and their energy and how they feel. Um, dairy is pretty commonly problematic too. Again, maybe different forms of dairy to, to varying degrees, but that tends to be really contributive in conditions like allergies, asthma, sinus conditions, and digestive distress. So those are three kind of big ones that we pull out, but there are other things that could contribute that we're pulling out as well. Now, is this, um, is the Whole30 more popular with a certain demographics, like let's say people under 50, or what about people over 50, or perhaps they're not quite as healthy or tend not to be as healthy or have more problems, let's say, uh, in terms of some of these things that you've described, or even, even, you know, heart disease and cancer and those kinds of things, can they still do the Whole30? Oh, yes. We have some incredible testimonials from baby boomers and senior citizens whose doctors are saying, you know, look, this protocol works really, really well. And if you want to avoid being on 10 pills a day, you really need to make a change. And they're experiencing dramatic results. In, since 2009, when the program was created, we've seen a huge broadening of our audience. And there really isn't any one specific target demographic. We're seeing unhelping teenagers through the program right now with the supervision of, you know, their parents and their pediatrician. And I'm seeing a ton of senior citizens doing the program and getting off of their high blood pressure medication, cholesterol medication, and reversing type 2 diabetes. Like, it's all across the spectrum. I mean, that's really exciting. I mean, to be able to to do that and obviously you're doing it because it's growing and growing and you've got fans everywhere and also your book which I think with these recipes that you have I guess what is more than 150 recipes for just main dishes and sides dressing sauces all of that you you, it's it's all right there it's sort of a one-stop shopping right you've got the recipes you tell us how to cook them you could you know what we need for the ingredients so it makes it really really easy It does. And because the program has been around for such a long time and because I've stayed so closely connected to the community and really listened to what they need to be successful, I feel like there's no better time to do the Whole30. We have more support than ever before in terms of helping you plan, helping you prepare, helping you cook, helping you troubleshoot. And this Whole30 cookbook is like the pinnacle of the support that we offer, 150 recipes, Every single thing in this book is compliant. It's hearty. It's filling. It's delicious. Nobody would ever look at these recipes and think, oh, this is obviously diet food, which is what I love about it. Yeah, which is, to me, the best thing about it, because most of these other diet books, and that's what they are, you think, uh, the word, it's deprivation, and I really don't want to be deprived. And that's, you know, I, I say that and my girlfriend say that. And so I'm not going to go on a diet. I, I'm just because it's, it's too much deprivation. And that's not what you see or feel when you do the, the whole 30. How did you get into it? Was it something because you were having problems yourself or you just saw this as a need for other people? Or what was the impetus for, for this? You're a certified sports nutritionist. So obviously that's your field. But specifically the book, how did you get into it? It's, you know, it started back in 2009 as a self-experiment. My co-founder and I were really into uh, exercise. We were cross-sitting and uh, doing some Olympic lifting, and I wanted to see if a squeaky clean diet protocol would help my performance in the gym. He had been battling this chronic shoulder tendonitis, and the research he was doing was suggesting that dietary factors might be contributing to the inflammation in his shoulder. So, We both kind of did this experiment where you're pulling some really commonly problematic stuff out for 30 days to see what happens. He had the complete resolution of his shoulder pain, something that as a physical therapist, he had not been able to heal in over a year. I had such a dramatic change to my relationship with food, such dramatic results with my energy levels, my sleep quality, my performance in the gym. So many things changed in such a radical fashion that I knew we were onto something so amazing. So I shared it with my blog readers in 2009, and a bunch of people said, oh, yeah, I'll try that. That sounds really good. And when they came back and reported remarkably similar results to what we had experienced, I, I think that's when you know. You know, two people do something and they get good results. It's cool. When hundreds of people do something and get similar, excellent 
stunning results, then you're like, okay, this is actually a thing. And that was really how the Whole30 got started back in 2009. And what's the reaction of the medical community, or has there been a reaction? I assume there has, because you are associated with them as a uh, sports nutritionist. So Yeah, we uh, have yeah. so many medical doctors who are using the Whole30 protocol with their patients. Medical doctors, registered dietitians, psychiatrists, addiction specialists, and counselors. They have reached out to us in droves saying, this is a protocol that is working for my patients, and they love it because they don't have to do the work. You know, they're saying to their patients, you need to eat healthier. And then the patients say, okay, what does that look like? And, man, that's a lot of work for the doctors to either put together an eating plan or help them figure out resources. The Whole30 is like a complete package. They say, I want you to do this protocol. Here are all the resources, everything you need. Here's the new cookbook. And they come back to their doctor and have just stunning results, huge improvements in medical conditions, the need to be taken off medications, like, it's wonderful to be working with them, medical professionals, in this aspect. Yeah, we we all like things to be able to uh, be easy for us, and that's exactly what that does, and you're so right, because doctors will say, well, you know, you need to lose weight, you need to get in shape, but most of the time they really don't have anything to give you for that, except, you know, this kind yeah. of basic uh, government diet that's on their wall in the office, <laughs> which doesn't, right. most people aren't too attracted to. Yeah, so this is great. So it's sort of, it works for everybody. Um, have, have there been anybody that it hasn't worked for, that you've had difficulties with, that have been a challenge, that you've had to, you know, I, I don't know, uh, be even figure out other creative ways to help them in terms of this this particular diet? Yeah, you know, one population in particular, if you have a history of eating disorders or disordered eating, the rigidity of the Whole30 rules can be triggering. So we've had people with a history of eating disorders say, this is the only plan that's worked for me because there's no calorie counting, there's no restriction, there's no deprivation. But if this is your context, you have to work with your medical professional or a trained counselor because we would hate to see someone rebound because they're following this kind of really set strict set of rules. There are some people for whom the Whole30 don't, doesn't work as staggeringly well, and typically these are people with a long history of medical conditions, chronic illness, chronic fatigue, you know, some stuff going on kind of under the hood. Food is incredibly impactful, but it can't fix everything. So, you know, those folks, Whole30 is a fantastic foundation and might take them part of the way there, but they're going to have to work with their functional medicine doctor or healthcare practitioner to do some specific testing and maybe some targeted supplementation to figure out if there's an underlying gut infection or immune condition that is contributing to what they have going on. Yeah, I was thinking about, Melissa, I was thinking about diabetes because I know that's a huge problem today, uh, type 2 diabetes, and a lot of it is a result of poor diet and being overweight. So it would seem to me that this would be uh, sort of an answer or a partly a part of an answer for those who suffer from diabetes for those reasons. Yeah, I think the, pro, you know, the, the whole 30 in, in design is an anti-inflammatory diet. So it helps with so many lifestyle-related diseases and conditions. And in the case of type 2 diabetes, you know, working very closely with your doctor to monitor blood sugar and making sure you're implementing the program in a way that's healthiest for you, we have seen complete reversal of type 2 diabetes in just 30 days. It's not, the program isn't designed to be a medical intervention like that, but food is just so powerful. And I don't think people understand that changing the food you put on your plate can have such an enormous impact on so many areas of your life. Why do you think we don't understand that? This is something that we do at least three times a day, and I think most people do it far more than three times a day. What is it in our culture that we don't seem to be able to get, that what you put into your body has a, an impact on everything, as you've mentioned throughout the interview, on your attitude, on your intellect, on your you know ability to function physically? We don't seem to get that. and I, I'm, So maybe you have some insight into that. It's such a good question. It's such a smart question. I think part of it is that food is incredibly emotional for people. It is not just food. It's self-soothing and the way you show love and it relieves anxiety and relieves boredom. And so talking to people about their food, I think, is third only to like politics and religion in terms of how sensitive people are with the idea of changing their diet. So, you know, one, I think it's just really scary 
I think more important, though, people don't associate the food they're eating with what's happening in their bodies because some of the foods they're eating have been deemed, quote, healthy. They're doing their whole grain toast with low-fat dairy in the morning, and, you know, they're suffering from acne and digestive distress, but they're eating healthy, like what everyone says is healthy. And it's really hard to tie in the toast they're eating, the whole grain toast they're eating in the morning with that chronic shoulder pain they wake up with every day until you do a program like the Whole30, which has you pull it out and then put it back in and, and see what the difference is. So, you know, I think everyone understands that fast food and junk food and, and sugar aren't particularly good for you, but it's the stuff that you wouldn't suspect because everyone tells you it's so healthy that could be doing the most damage or at least substantial damage to your health and well-being. And that's the tricky part. It is the tricky part, and I think it's difficult for us as just lay people because there's so much marketing in regard to those kinds of foods, and so we begin to believe it. And it's really hard to to to, to sort of go against the grain, literally, and um and, and be able to think on our own and be able to to take a, another look at at the food and what we're eating and how it impacts on us. I mean, a lot of it has to do with the marketing. Oh, wouldn't you agree? I would agree. I think there is a lot of marketing around foods that are healthy based on, you know, big business and agriculture. But I, I think the important thing is that I, I want to point out, I'm, I'm not saying through the Whole30 that these foods are bad. I'm not saying grains are bad or dairy is bad. I'm saying it's unknown. I don't know how this food is going to impact you and neither do you until you do a protocol like the Whole30 where you pull it out and put it back in, you know. I think everyone would agree that broccoli is really healthy, but if every time you ate broccoli, you were doubled over with stomach cramps, I would say broccoli is not healthy for you. And that's all we're trying to get to with a program like the Whole30. Not that foods are good or foods are bad or that you have to eat like this for the rest of your life. It's let's do this protocol and figure out how food is interacting with your unique body and brain. And then you get to make the decision for yourself based on that unique interaction. I think that's that is that's very that's critical. That's important. You're absolutely right. Right, broccoli isn't good for everyone necessarily, and you have to take a look at some of those foods that get the rap for being the healthiest foods that you can eat. But they may not be healthy for you, and that's this, mm-hmm. the, the whole yeah, which is what the whole thirty is all about. And I think also the other thing, and I think we did say this, but I, I think we should mention this again. Like it's really easy to do. You just the book just gives you everything and like the food, the foods that you eat and the way you prepare them. It's really simple because some of this stuff, that's another thing with some of these other diets. This It's too complicated and you have to go find the food somewhere at a health food store and you have to. So by the time you have to do that, you don't even want to do it. So I think right. that also, yeah, is just as critical that you make it easy because we have very busy lives and we want to be able to do it, but we don't want to have to spend a lot of time uh, trying to eat the right foods and do it in the right way. Even Yeah, and I find that diets that make you combine food in weird ways or measure or count or track or log or only eat this food after a certain time and you're always checking your watch, that only moves you further away from a healthy relationship with food. It's not... Your body is really, really smart, smarter than any calculator you'll find on the Internet. And and if you give it the kinds of foods that it's used to eating in nature, real, whole, nutrient-dense stuff, you'll be able to trust the signals your body is sending you, and you'll know when you're hungry, and you'll know when you're full. And I find all of those crazy protocols that diets make you do, they just move you further from a healthy relationship with food and only create more anxiety and dysfunction, which is exactly the opposite of what we want when we think about food. I don't want anxiety around food. Yeah, well, you're only going to do it for so long, and then you're just going to give up and say, you know, I give up. I can't do this. I can't be weighing and measuring and blending. I'm done with this. And that's what happens, exactly. But the other thing, um, Melissa, you do your seminars, not just here in the United States, but you do them, I guess, worldwide. So any are there any kind of differences, like when you do the seminars worldwide, the reaction from your audience or people who have come to listen to you that are different than the United States or, say, Europe or wherever you do them, um, just cultural differences, for instance, in terms of their attitude towards food? Oh, I mean, huge difference in terms of the foods that are culturally significant. I remember doing a seminar in Mexico City talking to them about how for 30 days they'll be eliminating rice, corn, and beans. And it's like, you know, jaws are on the floor because obviously those foods are a staple in 
a Mexican diet. Um, I do, I think that European nations tend, people in, in, who live in Europe tend to have a bit of a more relaxed and healthier relationship with food. From what I've seen, they sit down together as a family for more meals. They take their time over meals. They're not rushed. They're getting that good social interaction over meals, which can be really stress mediating. But I do think the lore of convenience foods, the quick, easy, hyper palatable, you know, sugar on top of fat on top of salt. I think that is absolutely universal and universally, whether I'm in Iceland or Denmark or uh, Sweden or Mexico City or London doing seminars, I see people struggling with their cravings and feeling out of control with their food. That is 100% universal and a huge part of what the Whole30 tackles. Is this a recent phenomenon? I mean, have we always had that? But you know, my I think I my generation, I remember sitting down and home cooking. My you know, my mom home cooked every dinner I had as a kid growing up. We sat down as a family every single night and had dinner. And I look at my son now who's four and unless I am very consciously working to create that paradigm, I don't think it's as common anymore. And I think so much has changed so dramatically in such a short time frame in terms of our access to convenience foods, how scientists have figured out how the brain is kind of wired in terms of pleasure and reward and habit and, and really use that to their advantage and our disadvantage in crafting some of these foods. I think my grandmother wouldn't recognize today's food landscape. And that's a pretty radical food change in, in a really short period of time. And it kind of caught us off guard, I think. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, my mother always said that she just, what they ate was what was in season. I mean, things weren't processed and they weren't frozen. And so you just ate everything in season and everything was fresh and that was it. And whatever was available was available. So that whole thing is, as you say, has totally changed. We only have a couple minutes left and we're talking about the whole 30 with New York Times bestselling author and certified sports nutritionist, Melissa Hartwick. Uh, Melissa, where should we go? Uh, websites to learn more about you and the book and, and um, just keep track of what, what's happening with Whole30. Yeah, everything is just at Whole30, W-H-O-L-E and the number three zero. So our website has all of the book information. The program is available for free on the website so people can take a preview of what the rules look like and planning and preparing strategies. We've got a ton of PDF downloads to help people stock their pantry and go grocery shopping, real plans, meal planning service to help people plan 30 days worth of meals, and then a huge and incredibly welcoming social media community, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, all just at Whole30. So you're everywhere. There's no excuse for us. We, <laughs> we have like to, to join. It's everywhere, been, yes. You are everywhere. And thanks so much for being on the show this morning. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. It was a pleasure. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. 